Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, yard, yard sale. sale. The yard sale. Are there good deals at your yard sales? Mesdames and messieurs. The greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Oh! You can do it! You can do it! Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! But that is an Olympic champion. Ready? Hello and welcome to Olympic Fever. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Hello, Allison. Hello, Jill. How are you? I am much calmer today. Oh, I yes. Yes, it is yes, calm. Yes, I have. And, and I would say I, I had read that an overwhelming number of Russian athletes still would like to compete in the Olympics. So and I'm very, very relieved and calm and I've worked it all out. I've done my yoga, so I'll be better today. <laughs> we're getting closer and closer so i'm feeling more and more olympic with every moment yes. that goes on you know <clears throat> uh yesterday i was curling and we have one of the canadian feeds up in the house and canada was having the roar of the rings tournament sponsored by tim hortons um <laughs> or in our house we call him timmy ho-hos <laughs> But they uh, announced their the, the winners got onto the Canadian team, the Olympic team, and okay. it was so cool. All I could see while I was trying to pay attention to my own curling game was um, when they announced everybody for the teams. They gave them their jackets, their Canadian jackets. Oh, and they are so oh, cool looking, red jackets with this huge white maple leaf that kind of starts at the the right hip and goes all the way across their chest. It's so cool. I oh. and of course they were teary a little bit and oh so exciting. I'm so excited for for them to make the the Olympics. What a dream. I know. I definitely would have cried. <laughs> Could, Let's be honest. I couldn't though. cry. I was in an ice house. Tears would have frozen <laughs> to my face. Giving me the, humi- the lack of humidity in the ice house. <laughs> I'm not crying. No, it's just this lack of humidity makes my tears water. Makes my eyes water. <laughs> but today on the show, we are talking more freestyle skiing. We are uh, going back to some of our interviews that we did at the Team USA Winterfest, sponsored by Hershey, and. <laughs> 
<laughs> I should really stop saying these sponsor names until they actually give us some money to say. Yeah, say dude. <clears throat> okay. They let us mention them. We gotta. We get, they gotta pay for that honor. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll we'll work on that. We are going back to the world of freestyle skiing, and today we are talking to slope style skier and um, she does slope style and ski half pipe. And that's Devin Logan, who was a silver medalist in Sochi, which was the first games that this event, these events were contested. And um, along with Devin, you'll hear in the background, we, uh, Morgan Schild was also with her. After we talked to Devin, we talked to Bradley Wilson, who is a moguls skier, and he competed in Sochi and is hoping to go to uh, Pyeongchang. So let's take a listen to what Devin has to say to educate us about slopestyle skiing. One of the things we like to do on our show is educate the listeners a little bit better about the different sports. So like what kind of things should people look for that they might not, the TV guys might not tell us? Um, So I compete in ski halfpipe and ski slopestyle and that's new to the Olympics. Uh, Sochi was our first debut. Right. and in our sport, it's hard. It's a judge sport. So where a lot of time sports, like, you clearly know who wins. Right. Um, and I think the hardest thing about ours is it's not described to the audience watching at home what they're basically judging us on. You know, they just kind of, there's a panel of six judges and then a zero to 100 score is given. And I think people are just like, wait, how did they get that score? And it's not broken down for them where the judges are, judging each of us on the difficulty of our run. Are we spinning both left and right ways, going forwards and switch? Uh, The amplitude of our jumps, you know, you kind of want to make the jump, maybe go a little bit farther than what we call knuckling and not making the jump and exploding and yard sale and all that. And then yard, like wait, 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 yard, yard, yard sale. sale. The yard sale. Are there where, good deals at your yard sales? <laughs> no, usually not. It's it's a rough one. Uh, yard sales when you fall and kind of lose pretty much all your equipment. You know, skis are everywhere, poles, like may have lost a glove and fallen off or something like okay, that. And, and knuckling? Knuckling. Um, so on a tabletop jump, you have... Okay, back up a second. <laughs> so on the... Well, it's... No, no, because yeah. are we talking the... Um, the, the, the flat. Slope. It's, it's, it's yeah. like a so, jump that's so kind of there's flat. The, the takeoff of the jump, like the ramp. Yeah. Yes. And then you have a, a flat part that you have to yes. clear that gap, and then a downward sloping yes. landing. Okay. So okay. where the flat tabletop to the like the, the downward edge. slope, that yes. edge, that's called the knuckle of the jump. Okay. Yeah. Okay, no. so especially what? at the speed and height of the jumps, it's usually a 65 foot jump. We're taking it 70 feet, and the speed of I don't know what how fast we go into it, but that's a lot of g forces when you hit. So, okay, and what does your mother think of all of this? Does she worry about you? Um, she does, but uh, <laughs> you know, for me, I'm the youngest of five, and my brothers are professional skiers as well, so I think. I think she's pretty much used to it by now. She's seen some crashes, but uh, yeah, went during Sochi, she she got scared. She couldn't watch my run. She turned away, and then once I was at the bottom of the course, she she was looking up for the score. So she gets a little nervous. Do they have in your sport? You know, like ice skating is infamous for the Russian judges. Do you have judges like that in? Um, no, our panel of judges. Um, I mean, they're all made up of 
from different countries, which is good. But we have the same panel that we usually compete in all year oh, round. Oh, okay. So we're starting to really get like a knack for kind of what they're looking out for, and they're trying to be on the same page because no contest is the same, and like it's a judge sport, so you know people make mistakes and during the time of it and everything it's, it can be overwhelming so um, how was the course in Sochi? It was like Olympic I mean obviously Olympic but so like how, how was it quality wise for you? Quality wise it was one of the toughest courses I've ever skied um, just the makeup of how the jumps were they were kind of a different style of jumps that I wasn't really used to so having five days to train on the course was definitely helpful um, but yeah you just have to adapt and that's what's cool about uh, slope style skiing is that no course is the same so every time we show up it's a different course made up of different types of jumps and different handrails that we slide and giving us options and that's you can pick your own line and make the run as unique to your style as you want and I think that's what's awesome and that's what stands out in the judges eyes because you have you know two runs and 20 competitors and they kind of kind of starts getting repetitive looking the same and if you can do something that's different and stand out that's usually the best call what, what move do you have in your back pocket sorry what move do you have in your back pocket that you just like to oh i gotta throw this in um you know we have our stock tricks that we do but um definitely the big thing in us in our in my sport is style like grabbing our skis and okay. mixing different things up and so i think just if you can get grab your skis and look make it look as easy as possible then it's golden so sochi yes how was your experience in terms of being there living there it was good. Um, I actually didn't spend as much time there as I thought I would. I My event was the second day, um, and I ended up taking home the silver medal. And so I kind of cut my time short in Russia to come back here to capitalize on media and stuff. So I was over here when, um, you know, more different events were still competing. So um, I would have liked to go on to see kind of like more events and in person in real life but I also won my medal a week before my 21st birthday so I kind of wanted to spend it over here stateside and I'm originally from Long Island so my dad's here and just celebrated my 21st in New York so you can't really beat that it's a little bit better with your friends and family than in Russia. Now where is the medal? I was just going to ask. Oh, uh, <laughs> That's why we work together too. The, uh, the medal's at home right now. Um, I came from a training camp in Europe, so I was over in Europe for the last four weeks, so I didn't really feel comfortable carrying a medal over there, but right now it's uh, sitting in my bedroom. So. What, what what kind of stuff do they do at training camp? Is it like invite only or? Um, so part of the U.S. ski team, um, they just they let us they schedule camps for us. Um, we were in Sasve, Switzerland, and then Stubai, Austria, and um, it's just kind of up to us if we want to attend. We can. If we kind of want to do our own thing, that's okay too. Um, so it's very it's nice to kind of. They just want us to be the best gear and whatever we need, they are fine with that. So if like you feel like you need some downtime, they're not gonna push you into keep skiing. Like they know every individual is different and if what works for me might not work for my teammates, so.
but I mean, I'm gonna take him up on going and traveling overseas and seeing these cool places. So why wouldn't someone attend a trip, a camp like that? You know? When is your When is your trial? When are your trials? So they start in early December. We have five uh, five competitions we have to compete in uh, to make the criteria. So our team will be named uh, like the middle to the end of January, right before we go. Oh, really? Or so wait, so you have your event and then you gotta wait? So we have five events between oh, oh, uh, December a, okay, that we have to qualify in. Okay. So. so if you have one bad day, it's not gonna kill you. Yeah, and that's what's awesome, you know, you everyone has their good and bad days and it's nice to have options to you know bounce back and recover from you know possibly an event that you didn't ski your best in. Technically, have things changed or heightened? Like, how is the skill level up since Sochi? Oh, it's it's the progression of uh, free skiing. It has been tremendous over the years. Like, there generations are getting younger and younger and braver and braver. Sure, so and you're like, what, 24 yeah. now? 24 now, yeah. yeah. okay. Um, but <laughs> but I, compete, I compete against 15-year-olds, you. You, know? you know? And, and But it's, it's cool because it still lights that fire and really keeps pushing me to, you know, learn new tricks and really try to get my skills better and, you know, kind of show those youngins that I still got it, that I'm not ready to go yet, so... <laughs> You're not ready for the, uh, the yeah. retirement community yet. Yeah, the yet. R word. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm always going to be a skier. And that's what's so great about our sport, that I'm always going to be a skier. Like, I want to be that 60-year-old lady that can go back in the park and do a 360 and be like, the little kid's like, that lady's crazy. So, but. That would be awesome. Yeah. Um, what do you think of those big air people? Um, I've done some big airs yeah. too, yeah. yeah. So uh, I I understand it. It's not my favorite thing, but um, it's it's nice to put on a show too. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so I will admit that I didn't know much about slope style before we went. I'm with you. Yes. Um, not necessarily something I watch, but we've seen some video of Devin since in preparation of this. I gotta say, I I don't know how she does it. I'm frightened. As we know, I, I am very injury averse. And when she, we were talking about her skiing backwards, how do you ski backwards? And yet she does it and makes it look so beautiful and cool and amazing. Right. And it just seems like no big deal. So the, the going backwards, if you haven't watched any slope style, like they, they jump on rails, they, they jump off ramps and, and over like well, they say the tables, so, or Mesa. It was a Mesa jump. Okay. Anyway, but anyway, they have like uh, jumps that are, there's an up ramp and kind of a down ramp, but there's separation in between. But what Devin does, and I'm sure many other competitors just do this, and it's perfectly normal for them, is they'll maybe do something off the rails and land backwards, and then they'll just stay backwards and go up one of these huge ramps and do another jump, flips and twists in the air and land at no. And big then deal. end up forwards. Yeah, yeah. In the next right thing. Yeah, no biggie. <sighs> but in person, she was, and I hope it comes through, so fantastic to talk to. Oh yeah, she was so much fun. And so much fun. And when you see her in interviews or when you see her on the in competition, she's so like that in person. Yeah. So she, I have to cheer for her because I just thought she right. was fantastic. And and because she's old, you know, twenty five. Yeah. She's old. 
Yeah. She's, I won't cheer for her because she's not one of the short people, but she's one of the old people. So she'll fall into that category for me. Oh, that was crazy hearing her talk about how she felt so old in her sport. But I'm sure. And I'm, Yeah. And I'm old enough to be her mother. Right. Same here. So it's someone so else who talked about being old. Oh, yeah. Was that was great. We were, yeah, we're on Senior Citizen Day here at Olympic oh, Fever. God. <laughs> And that's Bradley Wilson, who is an old timer, I guess, in mogul skiing. So because all three of us are old, what do you think we talked about first? The pain. Take a listen. We want to know about your knees. Yeah, that's really what we want to know. Oh, yeah, and back. Back is like the common thing that a lot of people don't realize. Uh, The knees, yeah, for sure, but the back is also... Okay, how are you still walking is what I want to know. Um, So I'm 25. Is that old? And is that old for your sports? It's so usually about thirty. Okay. It's okay. like old, so no, not really. Okay, good. Um, so that means I have about five more years before I'm walk. I'm barely walking. So right now I'm like I'm cruising. Um, so are you saying that people should be putting their donations toward medical research and back in the replacement? Exactly. Okay. And it's already so far. And yeah. it, like right now, you can get a knee and. Back, or hip replacement and be back in no time. Okay. So we're not too worried about it. Okay. <laughs> it's it is amazing. I know, it is true. No, but seriously, we do a lot of um, injury prevention stuff like in the gym. It's uh, crazy how many little stabilizing muscles you can get in your core and like your knees and all these things where it doesn't hurt. You know, I mean, if you do it right and you have a good technique and you do train in the gym, you can actually get it to where your knees and back actually don't hurt. So if you're doing it watching. right, yeah. and we're doing it right, like that's the thing. Everybody's everyone you see on TV, like in the World Cups and the Olympics and stuff like that. These guys all know how to do it. Yeah, some of them are gonna have nagging injuries, um, like knees and like some small meniscus inflammation and stuff like that. But every sport has that, you know. That's true. And then the majority. Ice bath, it cures everything. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so do a lot of other things, but... <laughs> so, tell me, now, obviously, one of the things in the sport is the person who gets down the fastest. Yeah. But what else should we be... What judging a good mobile jumps, right? What should we be watching? Yeah. So, you got to make sure their feet are together. Okay. Uh, when they land. Okay. And ski. So, make sure when you're landing, your feet are tight, and they stay glued until the next jump. Do your trick, land tight, and stay glued. And the jumps are also... That's the third thing. It's broken into three things. Speed, of course, being one, and turns the other. And then airs is like degree of difficulty, so they judge you on how difficult the trick is first, which basically has a number. Um, the harder the trick, the higher the number. And then they judge you on how it was done. Like, was it done well or not well? And then they multiply those scores together. So um, if it's a really, really hard trick, not done very well, your score might end up being like close to a trick that isn't very hard but done really well, right? So you kind of have to, the more perfect your best tricks are, obviously the better score you're going to get. Now do you know, I'm sorry, John, but do you know when you're going down, the, when you start, do you know what tricks you're going to do? Oh yeah, okay. yeah, we've been training for these tricks. Like, I mean, um, like, yeah, yeah. Do the, and so, the judges, do they know what tricks No, the judges don't know, but they've, oh, there's they only so many yeah. tricks that we do, um, that we're allowed to do really. And the toughest tricks would be, their names are Cork 10, or Cork 1080, which is uh, off-axis 1080, 1,080 degree spin. 
So you spin around three times. And then a back double full would be like a back double full, so double full, a full twist. A back flip with two full twists. And those are the two biggest tricks being thrown right now. There's actually one more trick, cork 14, which no one's competed yet, but it's on the uh, judges. It's on the list. it's on the checklist. Okay. It's on the it's on the uh, legal tricks to throw okay. that people are throwing now. No one's competed it yet, but you'll be um, seeing that. What is the degree of difficulty scale? Uh, it's based out of like a one point. Let's say uh, a cork 10, which is technically the hardest trick other than a cork 14. I'm not really sure what the cork 14 degree difficulty is, but um, a 10 would be like 1.1. Oh, okay. And a backflip would be like 0.7. Okay, okay. Because backflips are very easy compared to a cork 10. Maybe for you, Brad, yeah. but <laughs> some of us not so much. Yeah. What, what's not legal? Uh, doubles. Like double flips, so you can't oh. put your feet above your head twice. Huh. And what? Why would that be not I think it's a safety thing. Okay. Um, I mean, a lot of these tricks are already, you're putting yourself into a pretty risky situation. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're training like crazy. And at this point, a cork 14 would be a little scarier than a double back flip. Okay. Okay. Because you right. stay upright for the corks. Yeah, well, you're like off axis. So, okay. like, okay. off axis would be like straight up and down. Off okay. axis, which is, you're flat. When oh. you're spinning okay. four times. Okay. It's, I've then, seen it, but I never knew yeah. what anything was, yeah. right. was called. Yeah. So, right. In my opinion, doubles could come up um, and wouldn't be too bad for uh, um, safety issues, but the only thing is once you start adding spins into those doubles, that's where it starts to get really hard and difficult. When you're adding spins, what do you need to do, like going down the hill? Like, do you need to have a certain speed? Do you need, to, how does your takeoff need to be? Or how do you, what do you need to do physically to go, okay, I have the body that can do a cork 10, or now I have the body that can do a cork 14. Right, so that's, I mean, that's just training. So usually with mogul skiing, there's a max air that you can have because you have to land and then ski out of it. You know, like you can't go bigger than a certain landing spot. Like you can't go too far down the hill or else you're gonna land in the moguls and you're gonna blow up or have a bigger risk of having a break. Do you uh, have your yard leg. sales and moguls too? We oh yeah. We just learned that term. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Yeah, moguls moguls is funny because I mean in all skiing you have to stay really forward on your on your boots. In mogul skiing it happens a lot where you almost you drive your tips into the mogul because you're so far forward. Okay. And you slowly start to tip forward and then you tumble. I mean, it's like tumbling. when you land on your pet. Yeah, Same exactly. Yeah. But in moguls, you have these faces, you know, 10 of them that you're going to have to roll through. Like, you're not going to be able to hit and then slide out of it. You're hitting and you're rolling and flipping into these moguls, these solid pieces of snow. So what do you want us to talk about when we talk about moguls? When the media is talking about moguls. Like, what, what do they miss? What do they miss? What do uh, we not... A big thing is like the control uh, that these athletes have. Um, there's a point that we play with a lot, and a lot of people think like, oh, these guys know what the heck they're doing. They're in complete control all the time. But a lot of times there's this point where, and you, we play with it a lot, where you're not in control, you're just along for the ride, okay. and you're trying to get it back under control before you hit the bottom air. Okay. Otherwise, you're gonna crash or launch off the, and really hurt yourself. So a big thing would be like how these guys are able to control their speed 
And how do you control your um, So they, you basically, you can absorb the face. That's one thing, and like absorption, okay. using like hitting the face hard and like absorbing it to get up and over, or you can drive your tips into the face and it like slows it down like your skis will bend oh okay and then it'll, it it'll you pull down. your okay. feet back and okay. slow you down that way as well oh. and the edges of course just like turning mm -hmm. are your skis any different than other skiing disciplines oh yeah okay. we have uh, pretty thin skis okay compared to any other like thin thick or thin narrow thin narrow okay yeah thickness is about the same okay and um Usually the, the length of them is pretty similar to other, like 175 centimeters for 5 foot 10 athlete is like normal for uh, your recreational skier, maybe a little longer than your recreational skier. I'm just terrified. I, 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 you're terrified. I'm, I'm terrified. Because <laughs> like, when you talk about control, it's really interesting because you can see people are just like, I'm just going for the ride at this oh, point. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it totally happens. Can, it happens all the way up to the World Cup level for sure yeah. where they're just like, they don't have control and then you can tell, I mean we can tell because we right. see it all the time, um, yeah, but you can because it's like exciting, you know, you get that feeling in your stomach like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, is this guy going to be okay? And then he hits the bottom air and saves it and you're just like, dang, that was cool, that was impressive. Go <laughs> ahead. Okay. I was just going to add injury. What's the worst crash you've ever had? Um, I've had some pretty bad ones. Um, I crashed once in Chile at a training, just had a training camp there. Um, and it was hard. I did the one where you drive your tips in and roll over and I hit three or four faces of my back. Um, and I actually ended up, I ended up being okay, but I lacerated my lung and they found a compression fracture in my back. But it was pretty, I mean, it wasn't funny, but um, it was pretty funny that they had, uh, they done all these tests and scans and they found out that the compression fracture was actually old and I think a lot of mobile skiers actually have this injury because of the impact that we take onto our backs. Um, and then the last race in the lung was just taking time off. It was, it didn't like, fully, I didn't fully get a hole in there but it was bleeding and I like was, you know, coughing up the blood and I could feel it coming up and I was a little freaked out for sure. Um, and then I, I torn my ACL. Uh, two okay. years ago, yeah, and that serious. wasn't a crash. I just I just hit a mogul really weird, and I I was also really jet lagged, and I sh probably shouldn't have been skiing, and just kind of things lined up, you know. What do you do to to deal with jet lag? Because like Sochi was a long way away, right. Young Chang is a long way away. So what do you, um, what do, you do? Do you get there? Early I mean, it, it takes honestly, it takes experience. Getting there early is huge. It's gonna take a couple days, okay. just to get right, and then probably at least four days to get like competition ready okay. at least um, sometimes we've had two or three days where we just it's, you know it's the world next world cup you just got to figure it out um, but you kind of for us I mean for me I guess I could say just sleep when you can like if you can sleep on the flight suite if not don't worry about it just sleep on the taxi ride to your hotel or you know and then around six o'clock you want to stay awake because that's like the hardest part when you're traveling to Europe, yep. you know? Uh, stay awake till at least nine, and then you're golden. And put your phone away <laughs> before, before you go to sleep at night. That's such a big thing. Like if you 
wake up in the middle of the night, it's so easy, you know, scroll through your Instagram or check your Twitter feed or check the news, you know? It's just right there. Yeah, it has nothing yeah. to do with jet lag. That's, yeah. that's life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we do that too. Yeah, so you wake up and throw that on a podcast or put that on an audiobook or something like yeah. that yeah. instead of checking your Instagram. That's a big thing. How do you want soft moguls or hard moguls? Or like, didn't didn't Sochi have snow issues? Didn't oh, for us, yeah. Sochi was sick. Um, Wait, sick good? Sick isn't good. Okay. Yeah, okay. sick good. Old. Sick is good nowadays. All right. Hey, we're old. Yeah, <laughs> you guys are we're okay. Yeah, get with it, guys. <laughs> uh, well, we'll be at the yard sale. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You'll be at the yard sale. We're like, what's here at the yard sale? <laughs> I got a glove. <laughs> Find some sick gloves. <laughs> Okay, so the snow at Sochi. It was awesome. So we had uh, really good weather. Um, and for us, we can ski anything. I mean, we just got back from Zermatt and it was literally glacier ice. Oh, you wow. Know, it was okay. like you couldn't even put an edge on it because it was oh. like it was in the freezer. You could see three or four inches through the ice. Um, and then there's times where in Sochi, like where it was warm, right. the snow was, was slushy. Yeah. And for me, I, I mean, I think any moguls here, if they're not insane, would say they like soft moguls. Okay. Just because it's better in the body. You know? Okay. It's like you can ski three, four, five days in a row mm -hmm. and be totally fine. Okay. Or maybe not totally fine, but, but less beat up dying. as you would um, in skiing an ice rock solid, of course. It's and kind of the opposite of downhill. Downhillers yeah. like oh, yeah. the icy. Yeah. But there's definitely this thing I was actually talking to uh, Andrew Weinberg about it, but. You kind of grow up, and it's pretty funny. Like the East Coast guys know how to ski ice, and the West Coast guys know how to ski soft snow. And in the end, you kind of learn how to ski both. But there's always, I mean, at the World Cup level, in moguls and in Alpine, where you know the East Coast guys do ski better on ice. You know, they do have that little bit of an edge. And same with soft snow. Soft snow, they have, the West Coast guys will have that edge because they skied on that when they were kids. But all the way around, going back to your point, soft snow mogul skiing is the best. Pow bumps is what we call them. If it snows like three or four inches on a really good mogul course, then you're stoked. Have you been on the Pyeongchang course? Yeah, I went last year for yeah. the uh, Testament. How we was had a World it? Cup there. It was awesome, actually. Yeah. yeah, it's super comparable to a couple courses that we ski on the World Cup Tour. Um, nothing crazy. Sochi wasn't anything crazy really either. The uh, course there was, you know, it's solid stock. When you have crazy, what, what's an example of crazy? Um, so Calgary is a good example. Again they, with the Canadians. Yeah, the Canadians are whack. <laughs> you know, they're so good at this mobile skiing crap too. And it makes sense because um, they ski courses like Calgary where it's flat. Like you start off Flat, flat mobile skiing is very easy, um, and then obviously the steeper you get, the harder it gets, but the pitch changes, a lot of people don't know when there's a pitch change in the mobile course, that's where it gets really hard, because you kind of land and you get set in a position, and you kind of just stay in that position until, I mean, if it's, it's, if it's a consistent pitch, you just stay in that position all the way to the bottom there, but if there's a pitch change, so like if it goes from steep to flat, or flat to steep, you have to like completely readjust in the middle of your run and get back to a position to where you're balanced. And in Calgary, it's very flat, and you can send it off to the top air. You can go really fast because it's so flat. But then halfway through the middle section, it just drops off, like so steep, to where you almost have to 
I mean, not stop, but you have to really get slow and then drop into a completely different course for the bottom part of the course. So you're skiing two courses. That's a crazy course. Yeah. Because the bobsledders were talking about Whistler as the craziest bobsled yeah. course. Yeah, the bobsled well, that one, yeah, yeah, that crazy. one has some history too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. exactly. So I'm like, what are they doing? Yeah, Canadians so it's doing? interesting to yeah. hear, like, especially because they had all the test events and. You know, you want to know, like, what's the course like, or what do you look for? When you yeah. go, do you go and, like, map out the course? So we have usually good? four or five lines to choose okay. from, um, and that's all preference. Like, I mean, some people like left turns out of the top air, some people like right turns out of the top air, some people like big moguls, some people like little moguls. And that kind of just gives you options. And as the training goes through, like, the moguls will get bigger in some lines because there's more people in it, and the moguls won't get oh, bigger in other so lines. So you have to adjust anyhow. You can adjust, yeah. I mean, there's tons of times where you just switch the day of the event, uh, switch your line. Um, in the end, it's all the same. You got your couple turns, jump, some more turns, and another jump. Oh, yeah. My knees are hurting just talking about <laughs> right? it, so I gotta be honest. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh. oh man. Well, thank you so much. Thank yeah, you cool. so much. Well, thank you, Bradley. And I, I watched a little bit of him this week, too. And I mean, he just makes it look so effortless, although it does look so yes. hard. It looks so hard on your body but so effortless. Yes. And his landings are particularly beautiful when he flips. You know, I, rec I recognize a beautiful landing and it is really cool. Yeah. And I, again, like we were talking about before, I don't watch much freestyle. I really never watched much moguls because it makes my knees hurt to watch. <laughs> but it was, you know, when you meet the people and you see how passionate they are about your sport, it makes you want to watch the sport. Yeah, it, it really and does. Learn so more thank about you. it. Thank you, Bradley. And hopefully, hopefully, it makes you, the listener, want to watch watch it more as well, and not have your knees. And and this year, it's going to be super exciting because not only will my knees hurt while I watch it, my back will hurt as well. Thanks, Brad. I know. Now we know. <laughs> thank you, Bradley. <laughs> so much pain. So much pain is right. So moving on to some trivia. Um, okay. As you, I, th I believe it's your turn to go first. It's my turn to go first. Yes. Okay. I do not have a mogul question. Okay. Phew. I have a, I don't know. I was having trouble this week coming up That's with something. Okay. So I have, I don't even know how to phrase this question. Okay. So this does not include 2014. Okay. Okay. So which state has the most individual medalists from the Winter Olympics? Ooh, ooh, which state? <gasps> so this is place of birth, not what they call their hometown. Because, right, you know, obviously right. then it would be all in the, the training centers. Oh, so this is hard. And I actually have the top three, so I could say gold, silver, bronze. Ooh, okay. How about I guess three, and then we'll go from there. So one okay. guess would be Colorado. No. <gasps> that's really? not even. The, no, that's not even, like, in the top five. Colorado. Wow. How about... How about New York? New York. New York is number one. Okay. I would think that just because a lot of people are from Lake Placid area or... Right. And if you go back there. historically, you also have to remember yes. 1924, there were, you know... Right. Alaska wasn't here, so you can't count Alaska because they had all of those years oh, with no medalists. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. So do you want to know the top three? Yeah. Since I got... Okay. So got New gold. York has 15. Okay. Wisconsin has nine. Oh, speed skaters. And hockey players. Well, I take that back. It's not the hockey players because it's all individual. But yeah, speed skaters. Okay. And California. Oh, that's interesting. 
Well, a lot of the figure skaters came from California. Ah, okay. Christy Yamaguchi's California. Michelle Kwan is California. Peggy Fleming was California. Okay. So, yeah, I bet there's a lot of skaters from California. But I do want to mention the highest per capita number of Olympians, Winter Olympians, Vermont. Vermont. I would have guessed Vermont just because of the cross-country skiing. So you would have cross-country skiing, biathlon, Living up here, we get to hear a little bit more about about that kind yeah. of stuff. Vermont produces way more than their share of Winter Olympians. Good for them. Which is to be expected. Good on you, Vermont. Yeah. Go I'm going to be. A, I'm going to say, yay, my 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 birth state of New York. So when I go to the Olympics, I will add to the glory of New York. <laughs> Not laughing. It could happen. Totes. Well, we did talk to the old people today, so right? there right? you go. Hope for us. Still hope. Okay. Right. Are you going to give me a mogul question? I am because... going to give you a mogul's question, but I think oh. it's kind of easy because I was looking through my favorite book, you know. That is the, no longer in print. That is no longer in print. This would be the complete book of the Winter Olympics, 2010 edition by David Wolachinsky. You got to mention his author. I know. By David Wolachinsky. David Wolachinsky is a big time Olympic historian. So he had. Oh, he's, he used to do all the book of lists. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, he so, had, yeah. and his family. Right. So he he worked on this with, I think, a son or son-in-law because a fa- family member came into the fold to help with the book. So he has one for the Summer Olympic and one for the Winter Olympics. And I'm going to tell you a couple stories from the Winter Olympics because I, when I was looking for a trivia question in Moguls, some of the stories are phenomenal. And uh, this is why I am so upset this book is not being published anymore. So thank you, Doper. Oh, because he includes little he anecdotes includes little, with yeah, the little, little things from little oh. anecdotes from uh, all, all of the different races. So it's fascinating to read and you get a million quick hits on uh, interesting stuff, but no more. So sadly, it's getting more and more out of date because, of course, Slope Style is not even in this book because it mm-hmm. was it was this one was written for uh, Vancouver. OK, so um, it doesn't have any Vancouver revotes. Pardon? I said limited freestyle yes. information so, in general. Yes, yes exactly. So anyway, for okay. your question, before we get to a, a story, moguls was a demonstration sport at Calgary, but when did it become a metal sport? Okay, so Calgary, was it a really a demonstration sport that early? Yes. Wow, because I didn't think... Because that's when we w- talked, it was aerials, moguls, and ballet. Oh, that's Those right, because three... I didn't think it was a metal sport till Salt Lake. Not I moguls. thought that was the first time. Not moguls. Oh, not moguls. Okay, well, then it's either Nagano or Loham. <laughs> I don't know. Let's go with Nagano. Let's go with Albertville, 1992. Really? So it was demonstration, then it got to put right into the very next games. Wow. Yeah. I'm surpri- so that surprises me. So interesting. So let I was... me, I, I will say, okay, so uh, this is not the story I want to share, but one one of the amazing stories here is uh uh do you remember johnny mosley he was the big yeah yeah yeah. so he he was was the the big mogul skater skier from the u.s and was he was the hold on he medaled at uh nagano so he was one of the favorites and uh he came away with a gold so uh and in salt lake city he performed a bold new move which was a 720 degree horizontal spin called the dinner roll i remember that Oh, interesting. That's funny now that you say that. I remember him being so excited about 
this new, you know, 720 he was doing. I didn't right. remember that it was called the dinner roll, but I remember. Right. Dinner roll. Yeah. I, I will say one thing I do, do like about freestyle is all the fancy names that they come up with for their tricks. Yeah. Gymnastics is not good. They just name it after people. Right. Which is, well, it's kind of a, a nice legacy thing. But it, it's boring. <laughs> I much prefer the hurricane and the dinner roll. And the and yard sale. Yard sale. <laughs> Which isn't a move. It's more of a, a, a mess up, but. An I issue. Love I love the fact that somebody said yard sale and it stuck. So I want to tell you the story of Toby Dawson, who got the bronze in Torino. He is uh, was representing the United States. He had, uh, is originally from South Korea. And he got lost at a crowded market in Pusan at the age of three. And <gasps> he got put in an orphanage and an American couple adopted him. And they were ski instructors from Colorado. So he got into skiing that way. After Dawson's face was shown on TV. Did he find his mother? Well, I'll keep going. A 53-year-old bus driver in Pusan, Kim Jae-soo, began receiving phone calls from friends saying that the Olympic skier <gasps> looked just like him. A subsequent DNA test confirmed the similarities, and in 2007, after 25 years, father and son were reunited. He found right. his father. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine getting phone calls saying, hey, we see this kid on TV, he looks a lot like you. But, but here's the problem with that story. If he heard the story of, oh, I was lost in a market, and you knew you lost your kid at the market, like, wouldn't that be the clue? One, one would think, but maybe they didn't talk about that on TV yeah. or at least, you know, at least in maybe in okay, South Korea, true. you know, because if it's if it's Koreans talking or watching their TV, maybe they aren't talking about that. Of course, that would be a, a story for the U.S. because we have all of that that broadcast with the fancy stories. Oh, my God. That's <sighs> isn't that unbelievable? Heartbreaking because he had a parent. Right. It wasn't like he was orphaned, but he, oh my God. Right. Okay, now I'm going to get upset. Oh, but it's heartwarming. It's not, okay, yes. It's heartwarming that he found each other, but now I'm like, oh my God. Oh, can you imagine though, 25 years of not knowing what happened to your kid that you just lost in an orphanage or lost in a market? And how many kids in, how many kids around the world end up like that? Okay, you see, now I promised I wasn't going to get upset. (laughs) And I wasn't going to get mad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And, and now now you've broken me. And that's just not fair. I'm sorry. I have to go back and listen to get Devin again. She'll cheer me up. <laughs> well, I guess on that note, we should let you do that. Because <laughs> I want you cheery as soon as possible. <laughs> go listen to Brad. He made me laugh. <laughs> Well, everyone, that does it for this episode of the show. Thank you so much for listening. Guard sale! (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll see you next week, everyone. Thanks. Stay in touch. Email us at olymfever at gmail.com. That's O-L-Y-M fever at gmail. You can also leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. We're on Twitter at Fever, and you can join in the conversation at our Facebook group, Olympic Fever Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. Uh, well, we'll be at the yard sale. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You'll be at the yard sale. We're like, what's here at the yard sale? <laughs> I got a glow!